Welcome once again to the Richard Roper Podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. I am Richard Roper. Lots going on in the world of pop culture, entertainment, sports, movies, streaming, even a little politics we're going to talk about. Lots going on in the world of pop culture news. That's what we're going to get into on this particular podcast. And then later, just a few days from now, we're going to get my full Oscar ballot out to you guys and my predictions. But uh, before we get into anything, anything at all, I've got a reminder for you guys. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Who could it be? Well, since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Thanks to my friends at AmericanEagle.com and the studios, all the great folks who help me out with the podcast every week. All right. I'm recording this uh, on a Sunday. You guys will probably be hearing it in, in a couple of days and then hopefully for eons to come. Is he on, is he on a, a time measurement for eons to come, we hear? What is an eon? An eon is an indefinite and very long period of time, I'm told in my ear. There's nobody on the other side of the glass. I just have people talking in my ear all the time. Anyway, so um, recording this on a Sunday, just a few hours after uh, a new Saturday Night Live. You may have heard about this. Woody Harrelson was the host per the uh, long tradition of Saturday Night Live hosts. They often get actors who come on when they're going to be promoting a movie. And uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, he's got a movie called Champions coming out. I'm seeing it uh, this week, actually. So, And he's a five-timer, as they say. You know, it's a big deal in Saturday Night Live. They do the whole thing with the jacket and everything. It was his fifth time hosting. You know, as an actor, I've always thought Woody Harrelson has, you know, and I don't want to say underrated because I think by now people know he can do everything. You go all the way back to Cheers, and it, feel, it felt for a while like that was just him. He was playing Woody and he was this amiable kind of country bumpkin. But then we we saw in a lot of movies, you know, starting with Natural Born Killers way back when that he could do serious drama. He could do all types of different acting. And he's always been kind of a personality, to put it mildly. And so Woody comes out on SNL and starts going into a monologue heavy about uh, drug use and talking about his love of pot. Why don't we take a listen to a little bit of Woody Harrelson's Saturday Night Live monologue? I know he would prefer <laughs> that I talk about our movie Champions. It's coming out in two weeks. <laughs> it's a comedic masterpiece, but I'm not here to sell Champions. It's, it sells itself. Projections, projections have it making more than Avatar, but whatever, I'm no salesman, you know, I don't know. Uh, where was I? Yeah, okay, no, so three years ago, Central Park, Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, trying to resist the temptation to puff too early in the day. Of course, I succumbed. Okay, so he's kind of all over the place there, uh, talking about his manager being his mule and bringing the best pot or drugs or whatever from L.A. to New York. And at this point, we're like, where is he going with all of this? It didn't seem like it was a completely unscripted uh, rant, though, either. It, it felt like this was stuff that had been, you know, there, there's a there's a complete dry run of SNL 
in the late afternoon before they actually go live. Uh, it usually runs about an, a half hour longer than the 90-minute show. Then they cut out some uh, sketches that didn't work, refine things. Uh, I, I can't believe that this just came out of the blue. But then things got really weird. I'll preface this a little bit of a, the story from Variety that came out a few hours later. Woody Harrelson is under fire for referencing his controversial stance. That's one way of putting it. His controversial stance on vaccination and COVID-19 and the pandemic. The actor who took to the stage for his fifth time as SNL host rambled on a story that hinged around the craziest script he ever read. Now let's take a listen to Woody Harrelson describing this crazy, you know, alleged, uh, you know, that's the whole setup of the premise here, if you will. Uh, Woody talking about this crazy script he read. Oh, yeah, it was a palm tree. <laughs> so lay, lay your head on the palm, fire up a hooter from Jeremy, <laughs> and start reading. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is gonna believe that crazy idea <laughs> being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long. <laughs> anyway, it's about that time. Still no Jack. Okay. Well, we got a great show for you tonight. Jack White is here, so stick around. We'll be right back. Okay. So, uh, you know, this is not the first time that Woody Harrelson has talked about his feelings about the COVID virus and the fact that he doesn't uh, believe in the vaccine uh, he didn't think masks were effective. So now he's got this, I don't know, some sort of theory in there. That the biggest drug cartels in the world are getting together or got together and bought up all the media and all the politicians and forced us all to stay home. I don't know what he's talking about there with the biggest drug cartels. I don't know if that's some sort of veiled, completely unsustainable, un, uh, you know, untrue slam at the pharmaceutical companies who are not exactly saints we know this but i don't i don't know where he's going there but it's it's clear that through woody's convoluted anti-vax monologue that he believes that the the vaccine is not effective and that we're all dupes of some sort of i guess larger conspiracy um it was very bizarre i don't know if woody had tried a little bit of the pot uh, before he went on because his monologue it sucks let's just say that too just as a piece of comedy you know, regardless of your politics or beliefs, it just wasn't, it was disjointed. It wasn't funny. It didn't really, you know, put it all together. And listen, we just had a few months ago, Dave Chappelle went out there and gave a controversial monologue. It, it, SNL for its history has had moments of controversy. Uh, they court it. They certainly uh, take political stances. Uh, gosh, you can go all the way back to 1992. And of course that, and this is an incident that I'm sure you folks know about, but when Sinead O'Connor ripped up a picture of the Pope, nobody at SNL knew she was going to do that. In fact, she was banned for life by SNL. Uh, there's a great documentary called Nothing Compares that catches up with Sinead O'Connor now and details everything she went through after that ripping up of that picture of the Pope and saying, you know, fight the real enemy. Uh, but this one just seems strange. And the, the show itself was not very good. It was not one of SNL's best efforts. As far as Woody Harrelson uh, and Elon Musk seemed to enjoy it, he tweeted out you know, his approval of what Woody did. Uh, you know, 
I don't want to get into this area where we're hypocritical and we can say, well, this person can have their opinion and this person can't. And, you know, I saw that with certain people on Twitter uh, who have in the past said that LeBron James uh, should shut up and dribble and Colin Kaepernick, you know, should get stand up and, you know, talking about how various uh, entertainment and sports and public figures uh, should keep their political opinions to themselves. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, Woody Harrelson's our hero. You know, I, listen, I, I don't I don't say he should be censored. I think he's full of shit. Uh, I think his views are dangerous. I also don't believe that Woody Harrelson, actor, uh, pot smoker, activist, and Texan, as he referred to himself on the SNL, I don't believe he's really going to move the needle a lot. I think your opinions are probably going to be pretty much the same. So I don't personally feel like I was triggered or wounded or whatever you want to say by Woody Harrelson doing this this strange monologue. If that's what he wanted to do on SNL, you know, okay. I, I don't know that everybody on this on the show knew he was going to do it. Uh, as I mentioned, it wasn't the greatest show. And and by the way, at the 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 funny part he, in his opening monologue was when he talked. You know, he was expecting to get his five timers jacket. The jacket they give you, they usually bring you. Steve Martin comes out or Tom Hanks, you know, all these legends. And uh, Scarlett uh, Johansson, who was, of course, married to Colin Jost, uh, came out at the end of the show and did give him his jacket. So he got his five-timers jacket. All's well that ends weird, I guess. Uh, as far as the vaccine stuff goes, uh, you know, this whole, I, I listen, this is always going to be this way. There are a lot of people who never got it. I personally did and got all the boosters. Uh, you know, vaccines have kind of worked historically. If I could only think of a few examples like polio and tetanus and hepatitis A and hepatitis B and rubella and measles and mumps and chicken pox and diphtheria. If only I could think of a few examples where the vaccine has saved millions of lives. And in almost all of those cases we mentioned right there, there was no conspiracy. There was no backlash. People just said, oh, great, there's a vaccine. I'm going to take it. My kids are going to take it. They're old enough and it's proved and it's going to work. But uh, this is the day and age we live in. And as far as, you know, I know some folks right now are out there saying, come on, rich man, you're going to talk about pop culture and the movies. First of all, we are. I've been through this myself for 30 plus years in the business. I know some of you might know this. I started off in the business as a news reporter covering hard news in Chicago segue to writing a news and pop culture column but i would write just as much about violence in chicago and national and local politics and other serious news topics as i would about pop culture eventually segued into writing more about pop culture and then doing reviews and then doing the show with roger and i also at chicago listeners know this i think pretty well i was on a lot of radio shows through the years sometimes solo often with co-hosts, including Rick Kogan, who's a legendary journalist at the Chicago Tribune, Jennifer Weigel, who's a wonderful legacy journalist and, and writer and author. And of course, my my good friend, Ro Khan, who was doing screen time with me and has moved on to do some other things outside of the media. We got to get him on one day and we'll talk about all that. It's a remarkable career transformation. It's movie worthy in, in and of itself. But um, most of the radio talk shows I did were, were more about hard news and commentary than about pop culture. Now, of course, I get it, you know, for the last 15 to 20 years, um, the bulk and the great emphasis of my career has been about movies and television and reviews, of course, uh, in in great part, in large part, of course, because of my long association with the late, great Roger Ebert and becoming his television partner. And I, I get all that. But I will say this. I've said this before, so bear with me. And 
I promise we're going to get to some other stuff that's more pop culture and if you will, in just a minute. But this happens to me almost every day. And I have conversations with people who are far more well-known than I am and who work as actors or musicians or whatever the case may be. But on my Twitter account or Facebook or Instagram, but primarily Twitter, if I weigh in and I, I, I don't get super political because I feel like I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind. And there are far more uh, skilled career commentators and journalists who can voice a lot of opinions that I have when it's a, when it comes to politics, but sometimes you can't help it. You just got to comment on stuff. And for some reason, people always think this is clever when they say to me, stick to movies, stick to movies. That's what they tell me, you know? And again, I, Think they think nobody's ever said that to me before. Stick to movies. You know, if I if I write about anything else, I write about sports, even though I've written books about sports and I covered the Michael Jordan Bulls and heavyweight championship fights and World Cup soccer. And again, I don't expect you to know my whole resume, but it's like, what do you know about sports? I'm like, I know a little bit at least. But when people say to me, stick to movies, if I respond, and I have responded sometimes to people, whether it was on a call-in radio show or or via social media, and I'll say, if someone, let's say, this guy named Fred, sorry to the real Freds out there. I just threw that name out there. Guy named Fred says, stick to movies. I'll say, Fred, let me ask you a question. And Fred says, sure, ask me a question. So my question to you, Fred, is what do you do for a living? And Fred will say in this fantastic hypothetical that's only slightly better than Woody Harrelson's monologue, uh, Fred will say, well, I'm an accountant. And I'll say to Fred, so in other words, you're an accountant. That's what you do for a living. Do you ever express any opinions outside of the world of accounting? I'm assuming that every tweet, every statement, every opinion you give is about accounting because that's what you do for primarily do for a living. And that's what you're telling me to do, right? You're saying I can't have an opinion outside a movie. So stick to accounting, Fred. And then, of course, the answer is no, I have I have the right to express my opinion on anything. And I go, ah, thank you, Fred. You have proved my point. Fred. So thank you to Fred. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and hear about Portillo's and come back and talk about Tom Cruise and a couple of other really cool things and interesting things happening in the world of pop culture. Stay with us, please. I think it is time to tell you about Portillo's. Okay. The greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're going to have anywhere on the planet Earth, right down to the poppy seed bun. You're going to enjoy it so much because it's one of the million great ingredients that Portillo's uses, whether it's the Italian beef or the sausage or the legendary chocolate cake. That's just all the beginning. Mm -hmm. The fries, the salads, the chicken. Telling you, if you have Portillo's, the burger, it, the burger's great. Yes, and and you can get beer at the Portillo's too if you go nice. into the store. Nice. I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you have a Portillo's near you and you've not eaten at a Portillo's before, let's say you live in California, Arizona, or Florida where it's relatively new, you want to check it out. Take the Row and Roper endorsement here. It's one of the finest experiences you're gonna have ever in that kind of a food environment like fast casual you know it's not exactly fast food you can sit down it's nicer but it's super great portillos.com p-o-r-t-i-l-l-o-s.com ask your friends in chicago about it portillos.com Okay, so this is pretty cool. Tom Cruise was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Producers Guild of America, the PGA, 
which is not the Professional Golf Association, the Producers Guild of America, the Producers Guild of America, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is their 34th annual awards. You know, Tom Cruise, he's 60 now, I think. And, you know, everybody talks about Paul Rudd, but Tom Cruise is another one of those guys, you know, it's amazing. He's been he's been in the business for 40 years now and, uh, you know, obviously looks amazing. So they had a 13 minute highlight clip of Tom Cruise films and uh, Sherry Lansing, a uh, legend in the business who presented the David O. Selznick Achievement Award to Cruise, talked about casting him in 1981 for a film called Taps. And if you haven't had a chance to see that, you should check that out, folks. A 1981 movie called Taps. And Sherry Lansing said he had that magical, undefinable quality called charisma. She's absolutely right. And she's the one, Sherry Lansing, who greenlit 1996's Mission Impossible. And that's the movie that began Tom Cruise's uh, producing career. You know, he's had a big hand in his own career ever since then, even before then. I was thinking about this, you know. You can't say Tom Cruise is underrated. I mean, the guy's been you know nominated for multiple Oscars. He's won three Golden Globes awards. He's one of the all-time box office champs of all time. But I don't know if he gets enough credit for really uh, consistently choosing quality material. Yeah, you know, he goes for the blockbusters and everything. But, you know, the Mission Impossible movies, as I've mentioned in the past, too, it's one of the few franchises where the movies have gotten better with almost every new addition where it usually goes the other direction, as as we well know. And uh, even when he finally came back to Top Gun after all these years, Top Gun Maverick may be a superior film to the original Top Gun and, you know, reflected in the, the nominations and the accolades and, of course, the huge worldwide box office success. That's the other thing that's amazing about Tom Cruise is that he's not he's had a few. Listen, he's had a few peaks and valleys. You know, there was a time in the mid 2000s when. He was speaking a lot about Scientology and had a famous confrontation with Matt Lauer on the Today Show and um, also was kind of, you know, preaching uh, Scientology at Scientology tents set up on movie sets, which not everybody in the crew appreciated. And then, of course, the famous couch jumping episode on Oprah's show. And there was some concern there that, you know, that was going to derail his box office career. But when you look at Tom Cruise, 40 years in the business, it's remarkable that every time he's had a couple of films that didn't do well or a little bit of weirdness off screen, that he figures out a way to get back on top. And I don't know if we're ever going to see in, in our lifetimes or in the decades to come anybody having an arc where from like 20 to 60, he still may be the biggest box office star in the world at the age of 60. And the way things work now, a lot of actors They'll do 10 or 15 years where it's primarily movies and then segue into television because that's not considered a step down really anymore. It's just doing because there's such quality television. But with his career, it's remarkable how he continues to be a guy who turns his movies into events, who knows how to promote the hell out of them. You know, he'll go worldwide. He does all these crazy stunts. Uh, it, it's just it's really impressive. So well-deserved on the uh, Career Achievement Award. I put together... Just kind of quickly, guys, when I when I was reading the story about the uh, the award for Tom Cruise, my list of my favorite 12 Tom Cruise films, top dozen Tom Cruise films. You might not agree with all of them, but I think you'll agree with me when you just think about the variety of genres and the difference in material, whether it's a romantic comedy, whether it's a, a futuristic a uh, sci-fi thriller, uh, whether it's something that's based on a true story. So 
my favorite Tom Cruise movies, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, Jerry Maguire, Collateral, Magnolia, Minority Report, Mission Impossible Fallout, Vanilla Sky I have on my list, and I know there's a lot of mixed feelings about that. It was a remake. I, I really liked it. I thought, it's yes, it's 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 very sentimental, and it asks you to take a, a, a huge leap pretty deep into the story. My dream girl, Julie Gianni, is your fuck buddy. Oh! What do you want to listen to? Slow down, man. What do we got here? Barcelona, Looper. Radiohead? Look out, look out! <laughs> Death was right there in front of me, and you know what happened? Your life flashed before my eyes. How was it? Almost worth dying for. <laughs> but I love that film. I, I, I love the soundtrack. I love the filming. I love the performances. Vanilla Sky, Top Gun. I'll put Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick, you know, both on the list. So I'm cheating now. I've got 13 movies on my list of top 12 Tom Cruise movies. Born on the Fourth of July, one of the first films where we saw where he's playing Ron Kovic, real life story. Where we saw that Tom Cruise was willing to sublimate his, you know, leading man, look perfect persona and really, you know, dig down deep and get into a role. And then going all the way back to Risky Business, which I still love. American made a film from about five, six years ago that is terrific and maybe not seen by as many people as it should have been seen. And Edge of Tomorrow, which is another great film. So when you look at that list or think about that list, pretty impressive, guys. Congratulations to Tom Cruise couple more things on the podcast for you the box office report again this is just uh fresh off uh, the presses if you will uh marvel and disney's ant-man and the wasp quantumania now there's a title that just rolls off the tongue uh it stayed atop the domestic box office chart it made uh, 32.2 million dollars uh but that's a almost 70 percent uh fall off the worst decline ever for a title in the marvel cinematic universe and, uh, you know, it's doing well, but not huge business. We talked about this before. Listen, I like I love Paul Rudd. We just talked about him and the Ant-Man movies are fun, but they are lighter fare. I don't think this signals doom and gloom for the five million MCU movies that are coming our way in the next two decades or so. Uh, but, you know, it's a little bit concerning for for Marvel and Disney. Uh, the big surprise I don't know if they're saying it's a big surprise. I'm not shocked that it did so well because of all the viral marketing and all the hype and all the pre-promotion and the pre-pre-pre-pre-promotion. That, of course, is Cocaine Bear opened at $23.000,000. It took away a lot of the younger adults from going to the Ant-Man threequel. Elizabeth Banks, kudos to her. She's the director of the film, guys. Cocaine Bear, it lived up to its title. It's a it's an R-rated set in the mid-'80s thriller horror movie about a bear who ingests a lot of cocaine and then starts chewing up people anything that gets in the way of the bear and the cocaine the bear is going to be a 10 to 1 favorite so big money for cocaine bear my guess is uh you know and there's some there's some pretty big name actors including the late great ray liotta o'shea jackson jr marco martindale uh carrie russell are all in this film but this was not a star driven vehicle uh my guess is cocaine bear is already made its money back or close to it and will be a big profitable movie because it's going to make a hundred million dollars by the time we get through box office and you know 
home video and all that stuff. Uh, so I guess they could do a sequel to Cocaine Bear. Uh, you know, guys, just a reminder, the true part of the story was a drug smuggler dumped a bunch of duffel bags filled with cocaine into the forests of Georgia in the mid 1980s, then plunged to his demise. Uh, and then a bear came across a duffel bag or two of cocaine, ingested it and then died from ingesting it. It's kind of a sad story. Uh, that's the that's the only part of the story is true in the movie the bear just first of all the bear is like three times the size of the bear in real life uh but in the movie then the bear goes on this rampage so if you want to do a sequel or a prequel you could uh the, i don't know if i mentioned this in the last podcast but it's also kind of sad to me uh the actual cocaine bear that was found in the woods by investigators who were looking for the cocaine that actual bear was eventually uh stuffed and sold to a mall in Kentucky. It's on display in a shopping mall and they put a chain around its neck with a sign explaining it's a cocaine bear and they put a hat on them and they sell all this, you know, shitty merchandise, you know, cheap stuff about the coke. I partied with the cocaine bear. They have t-shirts and hats that rip off the Chicago bears logo, the exact Chicago bears font and logo, except for it says cocaine bear. And I'm like, I, I don't know who's buying this stuff. You know, I mean, it's no harm, no foul, but it's like, if you look it up, if you go online, just, you know, type cocaine bear in the mall or whatever, and you see it, I don't know. I feel bad for the bear. You know, the bear was just living its best bear life in real life and died. And now it's just, I don't know, it's on display. No dignity for the cocaine bear. So that is the story there. There is a movie, believe it or not, coming out in a couple of months called Attack of the Meth Gator. Yes, there is a movie called Attack of the Meth Gator. It's not related in any way, shape, or form. I don't know a lot about this, but I do know that four or five years ago, there were reports about police issuing warnings in Florida and elsewhere saying, don't flush your drugs down the toilet. I don't know why people would be doing that. Maybe because they finally got smart or because the authorities were knocking on the door. But they said, if you do that, it could go into the system and then you're going to have alligators and other creatures on meth or whatever. It, it never happened in real life. It's sort of like the alligators in the sewer urban legend. But anyway, Attack of the Meth Gator coming soon to a theater near you. All right, guys, man, I, you know, I had a bunch of other stuff I wanted to get to, but we're kind of out of time. So I'm going to cap it off there. I'm going to file away a few of these other stories I wanted to talk to you guys about and wanted to mention once again, Next podcast, full Oscar ballot. I will give you my picks in all 23 categories so you can either thank me or blame me when you enter your Oscar pool. I'm Richard Roper. Thanks for listening. 